On this episode of St. Tropic Alumni Plus Open Call, I present a short piece on the importance of building, building polarity into the system uh, of any enterprise uh, to ensure that it maintains its shape. Uh, and then we are joined by the wonderful Jeremy Lent, author of The Patterning Instinct, A Cultural History of Humanity's Search for Meaning. Uh, Jeremy's work is very, very aligned to the world um, of Syntropic. Uh, he says, we can choose to live into the future we wish for ourselves and for the rest of our lives, uh, rather than face uh, the future that we currently have. And finally, our Centropic alumni is Gina Yalamus, who is an urban shaman and uh, is bringing back the connectivity of humans and nature uh, that enables a, a deeper sense of uh, wellness and uh, integrity in their own being. I hope you enjoy this episode and uh, I look forward to seeing you on the next call, which is happening on January the 21st. Uh, where we have the wonderful Sir Jonathan Porritt, who has been a pioneer in, uh, a lifelong pioneer in supporting the thrivability of Earth and all her creatures. And his latest book uh, is called No Hope in Hell, which is a bit pessimistic, but uh, Jeremy, um, sorry, um, Jonathan is a clear advocate uh, for the Earth and our future. Enjoy this episode and we look forward to seeing you next year. I'm here for you. Oh, disappeared. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because um, Alicia does this, she does the editing for this. Okay. On this side. So that light's good, isn't it? You got less shadow. I mean, it's a little bit, but you're a lot less. Oh, Christopher! Jesus! <laughs> Boom! He just goes bang. Can you, can you hear me? I can't hear you. Yeah, I, I can hear you. It's, it's, I'm just going to make myself a cup of coffee to stay awake and I'll be back. <laughs> Didn't expect to see you here, you know. Well, <laughs> he's all, he's all rugged up too. He's what? You look all rugged up. Is it cold? Uh, oh. Yeah, it's, it's it's a bit chilly. It's it's just that it's late at night here. It's near ten o'clock. Yeah. Um, can you hear? Can you hear me? You crystal clear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, great. Beautiful. All right, great. Right. Right. Okay. We've been great. playing around. With, we've been playing around with the sound to get it better. Better than yeah. what it was. Yeah. All right, right, you go and get yourself a cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm going to. I've got six minutes. Okay. Yeah. We'll see you in a minute. <laughs> I didn't expect him. Yeah. So look, is that loud enough for you? I might turn off the traction. I'll leave that down here. Oh, uh, yeah. So I you can just turn it up. Thank you. If it's over there, I can't reach it. Yeah. Oh, you can't reach it. Sorry. If I need to for you or anything like that. Because I sit on it. <laughs> okay. I'll leave it Yeah. Yeah. So you're attaching, you find it better sitting there rather than on you. Well, I think now that we've got it sorted, I think we're good. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think we're good. All right. Thank you. <laughs>
Hey, Gina, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, really well, thank you. <sighs> wow, coming to a close. Coming to a close, and we've got Christopher, he's in, he's in the UK. We were on a call with him, the coach's call. There you so go. He's, been going, he's been going all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're doing the marathon. <laughs> yeah, doing the marathon. <laughs> uh, and we have Graham and Damien and Joshua. Good to see you, Joshua. And Leslie, lovely to see you, Leslie. Hi, Joshua. Good to see you. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> It's, uh, is it, uh, what time is it um, in Taiwan? 6 a.m. 6 a.m. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> Very nice. So, um, I think, Damien, if I've got it correct, I'm not sure if you can hear me, but I think you're in the UK as well. There's a couple of people joining. <laughs> it's one of the privileges of the benefits of the uh, this time zone changes it enables a little bit more access to the UK Europeans for this uh, this early morning session. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, coming in from uh, the west coast of Ireland. West coast of Ireland. All right. Yeah. Which where where exactly? Uh, we've got Eva's just joined us. She's Irish, but she's in Australia. <laughs> so which where in where in the west coast, Damien? Uh, Sligo. Where? Sligo. It's in the Sligo. All right, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a very good friend who lives in Tralee. Yes, the opposite end of the opposite end of the west coast. Yeah, yeah. And there is Jeremy. Lovely to see you, Jeremy. Hey, uh, so yeah. yeah, so so glad to be with you all today. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. We have. Um, uh, we have about 65 people registered for this. So we normally get about a third of that joining. Great. We'll see how we go. Uh, and uh, so far, so that you know, Jeremy, we have uh, Chris, um, Ireland, the UK, Canada, Taiwan, Australia. Um, Graham, I'm not entirely sure where you are from. <laughs> but, uh, and of course, the United States, you're the, <laughs> you're the only one so far. Right. <laughs> David, welcome. I'm from Ballinger on the New South Wales Mid-North Coast. Thank you very much. Oh, there you go. Bal New South Wales coach. So there you go. So we've got All a couple right. of Aussies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. We'll wait just a couple more minutes before we get started. I'm so excited about this. I can't wait to read your next book, Jeremy. Peter in Melbourne, nice to see you. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Joshua, I'm not quite sure where you're from. I love the global, <laughs> global yeah. element. So um, I'm actually going to sort of jump into this. Uh, we do do the recording and so on. Um, and so for those of you, because I know oh, Nikki's joining us, fantastic. Um, she's from Queensland. So for those of you who don't, are not familiar with the work of uh, Syntropic, um, the term um, Syntropic uh, was coined by my mentor, Buckminster Fuller, 
who um, I was introduced to his work when I was in my 20s, and that literally changed the trajectory of my life. Um, sometimes I curse that, but other times, uh, most of the time, I'm deeply grateful. Uh, and so, um, uh, syntropy is the opposite of entropy. And of course, entropy is the, that we're in a regenerative universe. And so Bucky always posited that we were in an eternally regenerative universe and, uh, and therefore essentially syntropic. So to give you some of the sort of flavors of things that we bump up against all the time that um, are syntropic, things like um, love, um, care, compassion, the more you put out into the universe, the more there is, there is no scarcity. Uh, but we coined the term syntropic enterprise because enterprise is a human endeavor, so any human engagement. And, uh, it, and so essentially a syntropic enterprise is humans coming together to leave everything better in the shorthand version of that. Um, but at the essence of it, um, we're also transforming every component of how we do human engagement. So really considering the legal structures, how we account for value, how we do enterprise design, human coordination, you know that. Um, and so it is, a, it is a complete reframe of how humans come together to create things for a world with a future uh, with a very syntropic um, lens. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm so delighted that we've got Jeremy Hill, I'll introduce to you in just a moment, but in his talk from um, the Whitby Institute Gala in October, he says, hope is not optimism. It's an attitude of active engagement in co-creating our future. Um, and then quotes Vaclav Havel, an ability to work for something because it is good, not just because it stands a chance to succeed. And I mean, I couldn't explain what we do at Centropic more thoroughly than we've made the decision in the Centropic um, world to turn to the future that we can create instead of trying to fix the one that we've currently got. And so we now have a um, global community of practice um, that is in 16 countries so far and um, just amazing people. Many of them are on the call here today, uh, which is just incredible. So India, we've got represented, I know. Um, so yeah, hi, Jyoti, nice to see you. It's even earlier in the morning for you. <laughs> and so, um, uh, that's sort of a little bit of a background about what Centropic is and, um, you know, there's sort of the core offering that we have. Um, we make it very accessible to people because our intention is to have Centropic Enterprise become the way that we do human engagement. Uh, and so to do that, we um, make sure that the the entry level and the masterclass and so on that we teach um, is very accessible. We never make price and um, a, a stumbling block. We, we deploy tools such as synergistic accounting. Um, if people uh, can't make a financial payment, but you know, how do they make other contributions? And so there's lots of different ways that we're actually using the tools that we teach in Centropic. But today um, I'm going to share a short piece. Um, I give you a little taste of some of the work that we do and then I will be um, taking a couple of questions if anyone has any, and then we'll be introducing Jeremy. I'm so excited. And you know, the, the problem with these calls is they're really powerful, but <laughs> we only get a snippet of time with some of these amazing people. And then the next, then Gina, um, one of our fabulous um, centropic alumni um, who's very actively engaged will be speaking about her work. 
So um, I'm talking to you today, today about stewardship and polarity. And uh, one of the, the um, principles, Bucky Fuller um, uh, dedicated his life to deploying the principles, the laws of universe uh, to mostly the built environment, but he wanted to understand the working laws of universe and applying them to things like he, he was modeling, um, he was building houses that had zero carbon and zero need for water and entirely, he was doing that 80 years ago. Um, so before most people were even thinking about this, he was considering the all in cost of a barrel of oil, which includes the Earth's cost to produce it and human use, and then the post cost, which we commonly know as pollution. He was considering those things in 1927 and determined that there wasn't a single human on the planet that could afford a barrel of oil in 1927 and that eventually we would be paying the after tax of our uh, lack of consideration of the all-in cost and so um, one of one of the principles of universe is unity is plural at minimum two so to an up we have a down an in and out a good or bad a black or white syntropy entropy uh, there is always this pairing. You, you can't say that this side of my hand is any better than that side of my hand. Um, they're both, um, both essential parts of my hand. And so if we're building, if we're to build a syntropic enterprise, part of the sort of the core principles behind that is that it needs to have integrity to hold its shape. And one of the ways that we, one of the tools that we work with is where um, we're looking at the enterprise architecture, kind of like a cell membrane. And, uh, and so this, within the wall of the cell membrane, there is a polarity, a positive and negative charge. It's actually all the way through the wall, but there's a polarity. If we didn't have this polarity, the cell would not hold its shape. Uh, it wouldn't exist, you know, unity is plural at minimum two, it actually wouldn't exist. And so let me give you some sort of practical experience of that. In our current world, is everyone familiar with the increased pol polarization that is going on at the geopolitical scene? You know, this is, it's just going bat crazy. So when we have an excess charge of polarity, in any system, what happens when there is an excess charge of polarity? Does anyone have an answer for that? When we, when the polar polarities increase, 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 what is the next likely thing to happen unless we change the charge? Has anyone got an idea? Some form of collapse. Um, it, it collapses is the is the other option, but yeah, usually when we have an excess oh. charge, we get an explosion. You know, it's going to blow apart. Uh, and so if we if we amp up the charge, um, uh, then we're going to get an explosion. Um, at the practical level, if you have too much um, anger, aggression, argument, 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 argument with any, within any human system or any system, what will happen is an explosion. But similarly, and this is really important, similarly, if you have too much consensus, too much, 
we all need to make it, you know, come to an agreement. Everyone needs to reach the same agreement. We've all got to, you know, this consensus, consensus, sort of like very um, undifferentiated, no charge and no polarity in the space, a very undifferentiated place. That, um, David, is when we get collapse. It, you know, falls into a messy human heap. And with the way I describe it, a mess, you know, just sort of collapses. And there is a, it is a, a non-action from the undifferentiated. And so if we're designing a centropic enterprise with deliberation and consideration, then there's a requirement to actually build polarity in by design. Now, we commonly call that diversity um, and, and things like that. Uh, and... Um, but it's really important that in the, in the design of what we're creating is the opportunity for humans to be human, which means for humans to not agree with each other, for there to be robust debate, for there to be um, a safety around those type of conversations. Because if there isn't, if, if there is too much niceness Who's ever worked somewhere where niceness is kind of like the order of the day and we can't speak about anything and we can't, um, yeah, and it's just like, eh. <laughs> um, so if there's too much niceness, um, it's not going to be, it's not going to hold its shape. We're not going to get a functional um, entity. But at the same time, if there's too much argument, too much division, too much divisiveness, then we're going to get that explosion. And so part of the role of the steward leader and the reason that in Centropic we talk about the steward leader is because we place the steward stewardship at the, in, in the holding of the, of the entity in distinction to the type of hierarchy that most people are familiar with where the CEO sits up here. And so the steward is akin to uh, the cell membrane. Uh, so some of the elements that make that a really critical role is that um, to have a conscious and focused awareness of the interior ecology of the enterprise that you're stewarding, including the polar polarity. It's kind of like Goldilocks, you know, not too hot, not too cold, just right. Never static though, because static nature doesn't do stasis. It needs to be like a cell. It's actually a breathable, it moves, it breathes. So at some stages, the polarity goes a little bit on the, on the explosive side and sometimes it goes a little bit on the collapse side, but it's that beautiful balance. And so part of a steward leader's role is to be constantly attenuating to that explosion collapse sort of principle from within the, um, the enterprise, but also similar, similar, similarly, being aware that this enterprise exists in a larger ecology, of course, which could be the community, it could be the state, it could be the nation, definitely it's the um, our home planet um, within the universe. And so because uh, any cell, uh, you know, the, the phenomenon of the human body, if I put a drop of honey on my tongue, the communication flows of that sweetness in my blood is almost instantaneous to my big toe. 
And so my whole system adapts to that response. And so the steward leader, it's a big ask, but the steward leader is to ensure that the polarity is, is in uh, coherence uh, within this enterprise, but in a world that is also in a polarized position. And how do we how do we manage that whole thing? And so, you know, definitely we're busting the myth that a steward leader is busy up to their eyeballs. Because if you're busy up to your eyeballs and you have got no space to actually attenuate to the interior and the exterior field of which you're working, then there is not a chance that you can pick up the nuance and so on that is going on um, within the ecology and with the exterior ecology. So um, current world, yeah, I think I've covered. Um, yeah, so that's 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 a sort of like a high level of um, just giving you a taste of some of the sort of the pieces that we work with um, when we're when we're working with creating a centropic enterprise. It's a completely different way of positioning, um, and you know, people either have a conflict averse, um, you know, which is we want everything to be nice or um, an adversity to consensus, you know, at too much, we want to stir the pot. And so it's, it's getting that balance really right um, and, and managing it and allowing for different flavors and different voices to come through, but not to dominate, um, but also um, ensuring that we don't just become this nice, sweet, um, uh, amorphous blob of nothingness. So that's my little piece. So is, um, we've got a couple of minutes for questions. Um, does anyone have any questions about what I've just presented um, before we jump into um, our, our conversation with Jeremy? Any questions at all? If you have a question, just unmute and ask away. I'm, I'm a little curious. Um, I've done other practices that are similar. Um, something, something that I'm aware of in myself is uh, as moving forward, um, moving from a, a kind of a, a thought of external externalized authority and jurisdiction to internalized authority and jurisdiction is something yep. that helps with um, the stewardship. So there's something of a participatory, the participants are also doing something in that stewardship. So there's a co-stewardship, not necessarily a, a dictatorial yeah. stewardship. Yeah. 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 And so one of the things that we do um, within Centropic World is we have this this um, cell membrane, it, there's a threshold crossing for that. And we call that the trust manifesto. Um, the language is arbitrary, but we call that the trust manifesto. And so it's if it, 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 the, the simple analogy is that if you and I, David, are going to play tennis, then um, we agree that there's a tennis court, there's tennis rackets. This is how the game is played, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so the trust manifesto is a, um, gives people sovereign choice if we're going to be active participants when within the creation of this. And enterprise, as I said, is a human endeavor. So it, it's irregardless of what it is, um, but we're going to be active participants in that by agreeing to, this is how we're going to behave with each other. And so if you've got the design of this threshold crossing, um, if, you've, if you've got it in a good place, then the requirement to manage or be authoritarian with the people on the interior should be minimum uh, because you've actually created that ecology for people to show up and be brilliant, but also for there to be the opportunity for learning within that space. Yeah. 
Any other questions? Uh, I got time for one more, maybe. Um, perhaps I could just um, share a yeah. perspective. I was so fascinated by what you were saying, and um, what was um, what, what was striking to me is there's this traditional Chinese concept of harmony, yes. um, which goes to exactly how you're describing it. There's this fantastic story of a Chinese sage um, who is responding to the emperor who said, "You know, so and so." so never agrees with me, he's not in harmony. And this person said, you know, think of harmony like a soup. Like if you just keep, um, it, you, you, you start off with water, you've got all these ingredients. Um, agreement just by itself is just like adding water to the water and you get nothing. And each ingredient you put in is different and together it creates this richness, which is what you want. And I just love that image. And it just, I just wanted to share because it goes so much with what you're describing. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Jeremy. And, you know, there's another beautiful story, um, a, a, an Australian woman um, who is um, highly regarded in the world as a champagne um, nose, you know, the true French champagne nose. Uh, she was in the, in the chalk caves in, uh, in the Champagne district of France with Henri Krug, and, uh, and he gave her the opportunity, or they gave her the opportunity to, to make a champagne. And so, you know, her first thing was to choose all of the best and put them together. And of course that made a rubbish champagne. And so the art of making a fine champagne is taking the good and the bad and the bits in between and putting them together. And that's where you get brilliance. And anyone who's worked on a synergistic team and so synergy is a word that has been co-opted a lot, but you know, sources, Bucky Fuller, um, synergy, uh, I'm not, uh, there's another session on that, but um, you can catch on one of the previous alumni calls. But when people come together in an environment that is created where synergy can occur, the exponential outcome of the human mind working together is, uh, it can be infinite, impossible to predict. Uh, and so that, you know, it's like the champagne, it's like the, the, the soup, you know, we, we think that we need to have the best, the best, the best, but actually what we need is this rich, combination of all sorts and that's the diversity there's another uh, reasonably well-known story about that christine uh where somebody took a whole heap of the best laying chooks uh, yeah. to and, and figured that they would be the most productive group and and in fact within a couple of generations they were all dying and um and yeah. falling over and in fact, they found that having a really diverse mix of chooks actually created the, the most productive um, yeah. egg farm. Yeah. Yeah, let's poke a serious stab in the eye to white supremacy. Like, <laughs> it screws us up. <laughs> On that note, um, I am so thrilled. Um, this is the first time that we've met. Um, I read Jeremy's book. It's it's um, a tomb, <laughs> but it's actually really easy to read. Um, I read it, and uh, and uh, as I've mentioned, it's one of my favourite books of all time. Um, I nearly fell off my chair when I saw the piece around neo Confucianism, which you know, um, and I and carried the, and that's why I outreached to Jeremy in the beginning, carried the. Uh, 
it seemed to carry the codes. This is a thousand years old of everything that we've been deploying with Syntropic. And of course, um, because Syntropic is based on the laws inherent in nature, <laughs> true in all cases, then of course, you know, the, the, the sages from indigenous communities and from um, places around the world um, have been carrying this for a long time because it's just true. <laughs> and the hubris of humanity to impose human constructed things, um, you know, it just blows me away. But anyway, um, so, and I'll just give you a, um, a, a taste of this um, from Jeremy. When we truly open our hearts, this is his words, when we truly open our hearts to each other, there is no burden too heavy for us to carry together. There is no pain too deep for us to hold in each other's arms. And it's in that place of feeling the earth's injuries and feeling it with each other that the alchemy emerges. It is in the cauldron of sharing our grief with our community of gazing at it together and not looking away that the heartbreak turns to hope. Heartbreak and hope is of course a polarity. Um, so Jeremy, thank you for being here. Um, wow. And I would love to know, cause I'm getting to ask some questions before you guys get to ask some questions. <laughs> What motivated you to write this? I mean, this is an <laughs> epic testament. I mean, the references are huge, but what motivated you to write? You know, what is that? Yeah. Well, you know, really the, the first thing that was happened, the, the subtitle of that book is called Humanity's Search for Meaning. Um, and what really motivated me to do the work to create that book was my own search for meaning, in fact, because I'd, I'd actually spent the first part of my life uh, doing doing very different stuff in my life. I actually was an internet um, entrepreneur. I, I, I founded a company, took it public. Um, and I got really, uh, I was really part of this whole different value system. And all everything, I, I went through a period of my life when everything had crashed around me. In fact, my my first wife who passed away some years back, she got sick. I left the company to look after her. Um, but I'd even, uh, even she, basically went through this period of um, sort of semi-dementia. So I kind of lost the person that I was loving, even as I was looking after her. The company then collapsed a year or two later. And I found myself with, as if everything I'd built up around me had crashed. And I vowed to myself that whatever I did for the rest of my life would be truly meaningful. But then I asked myself, well, where does that come from? I, wasn't, I didn't want to just take somebody's word for it after having spent half my life doing something that didn't seem right. So I started like peeling the onion of these ideas. And if I started reading, because so the, the other thing is I wanted what was whatever I spent my life in to be really coherent. I wanted it to be intellectually coherent that I could really believe it with my intellect, but right for my body so that I could really feel it through myself. And of course the whole Western way of making meaning doesn't allow that because they, it starts from this split of like mind and body and the split of intellect and actually um, nature and connection. So I started trying to understand where the splits came from, where these ideas came from and that's, it was really only through years of sort of trying to piece this jigsaw puzzle together that I realized it would be so great if somebody could write a book that <laughs> would help me in this kind of thing. And since I couldn't find that actual book, I thought, well, let me start to put this together in a way that I can offer it to others. Um, just It's really like this mapping of the different ways in which sense-making happens from hunter-gatherers all the way to the present day. And it was only in the middle of this, actually, and that I began to become more and more aware of this incredible precarious place our civilization has taken us to. Like 
many people, I was sort of aware of the headlines about environmental crash and all this kind of stuff, but it didn't mean that much to me. Uh, it was just one of those things that come and go in the headlines. And as I started to put this together, I started to become more and more aware that our own modern and meaning making was part of what was driving us to this catastrophe. And it's something shifted in me as I sort of found my own way of making sense of things was this really uh, drive to actually do everything in my life going forward uh, as part of my own sense of what makes my life meaningful to just and, and to really invest that into trying to be part of this whole great movement that is trying to turn humanity around to a more sustainable life-affirming future. And really at this point, that's what I've dedicated my life to. <laughs> well, I was actually gonna ask you, how did it, the writing involve your own thinking, but you've already answered yeah. that. So um, uh, your vision, you, you're now working on um, an ecological civilization. Um, and so what is, so tell me about that, um, the vision that you have for this. Well, so if, we look at what's going wrong with the world right now. One of the things that I came to realize through these years of studying and sort of, sort of like the meaning making is that we're never going to fix what's happening right now by sticking at the superficial layer. Um, so, I mean, we can fix all kinds of good things here in, in this crazed country that I'm living in the United States. You can fix healthcare or you can try to, um, or we could try to do and sort of bigger things like shifting uh, to renewables and all kinds of things that we need to do. But none of those will actually shift our civilization from this course it's on right now careening on towards the precipice. And the reason is because it's like there's something wrong with the operating system. It's a, it's a little bit like if you've got this, com this kind of uh, computer system and it's out of control and people are trying to make these bug fixes but every time you try to do a fix it just makes everything even more convoluted and more complicated and then somebody comes along and says no we've got to change the operating system and then people might say oh we, we don't have time to do that there's too many urgent things we've got to get this fix out tomorrow and and all that might be true but you need to be shifting at that deeper layer um, in order to then come out with something where everything works in a more harmonious fashion, where it can actually work in a way that's meaningful. And so if we look at the underlying uh, foundation of the sort of operating system, if you will, of our modern civilization, it's all about extraction, um, wealth building, accumulation, exploitation. You know, the modern worldview came from 17th century uh, 16th and 17th century thinking in Europe, which was about like um, this great vision of, oh, we can have power over nature. Nature is this machine. And if we use our intelligence enough, we can develop um, science to understand how to conquer nature and then how to exploit it to the very best for ourselves. And that was such a powerful vision, which at first was great. All kinds of good things happened to it. But um, it led to this incredible imbalance where now these ideas of extraction, exploitation, um, not just white supremacy you were just talking about, but human supremacy, this yeah. notion that the whole of nature is there for our purposes, that is what is fundamentally wrong with the operating system. So the idea of an ecological civilization would be to start to envision and actually map out what a civilization would look like from the ground up if it was life affirming rather than wealth affirming. And to do that, you need to start looking at understanding what is it that actually life has 
figured out over billions of years that allows an ecology to last for millions of years, rich and resilient, always moving with the changes, but always staying like in its rich abundance with itself. What are those principles? And can we apply those principles to human civilization? And what would it look like? So that's what the exciting project, I think, that the ecological civilization is about. It sounds very centropic, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which just causes no surprise right. <laughs> and beautiful. Um, and so, um, uh, of course, this is uh, this whole is your work now, and you're writing a new book, um, The Web of Meaning, which is integrating science and traditional wisdom to find our place in the universe, um, which I love. <laughs> so, can you say a little bit more about that, um, what you're writing, and, and, and what are you hoping to support? or a, um, a change in or a transformation in thinking as a result of your writing. Sure, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about this book that I've um, at this point finished the manuscript and it's gonna be uh, published in June of 2021. Um, and really what this new book is, is attempting to do is lay out a rigorous, solid foundation for the kind of worldview that could allow humanity to actually not just survive and make it through this next century or whatever, but actually thrive on a flourishing earth into the indefinite future. So it's a worldview of interconnectedness. Um, and it's a worldview that takes a lot of its inspiration from nature, this notion of symbiosis, this way in which um, different elements in the natural world go together to create something greater than the, the separate entities uh, by themselves. And the way the book is actually structured is it looks at the biggest questions that we humans can ask ourselves, such as who am I? Um, where am I? Uh, what am I? How should I live? Um, and ultimately like, why am I? And in each of these cases, um, it looks at how our modern worldview uh, the, mostly that we've inherited from the 17th century and also from sort of ancient Greek thinking all the way back the millennia, but that this modern worldview is giving us answers that are not only dangerous in terms of leading us to potential catastrophe, but they're downright wrong. And they're based on um, these ideas that got developed hundreds of years ago and have been superseded by modern insights in all kinds of different scientific fields like evolutionary biology and system science um, and cognitive anthropology and all kinds of fields. So um, what I'm uh, doing in this book for each of these questions is, is sort of showing where our modern answers to these questions are wrong, but also showing how um, these modern insights in um, these different fields align so closely with the greatest insights from traditional wisdom, from indigenous wisdom and from Buddhism, from Taoism, and uh, Neo-Confucianism are some of the major uh, traditions I, I sort of get inspiration from. So in each case, we can see this, and it's, it's called a web of meaning because really ultimately the meaning comes from this interconnectedness and it weaves together the, these deep traditional insights with modern science. So one of the first things we realize is there is no distinction ultimately between scientific understanding and deep spiritual wisdom. That's another of these kind of mistaken dualities that our modern world comes with. Um, but that's, these are just one of the ways in which we get to see that there is a different worldview which comes from interconnectedness, which is available to all of us to live our lives according to. And that's a worldview 
that is both scientifically far more accurate than the one that we're told is this is what reality is, which is actually in almost in every case you see just wrong, um, but also connects us with these deep spiritual practices and insights. And that way of living is one that's available to us right now um, that can lead us um, to a pathway of true symbiosis with the rest of humanity on a healthy earth. Yeah, really important, really important work. And, and one of the, it, it's so interesting because most of my work is at the edge of emergence. And so um, I didn't, I, as soon as I started looking at this, the work that I was presenting, then you, and then we've got Gina, of course, which is coming up, but the, it's like the symbiosis and the interconnection is all there without me planning it. It was just mm -hmm. happen, happen chance, but, you know, really, um, you know, one of the things that is so important about your work right now uh, is is this divisiveness in worldviews and really understanding, uh, really being able to understand the different worldviews because um, you know the complex problems that we have can't be solved by by thinking about them without understanding the other's worldview. Right. So I'm going to actually open up. Um, to questions from the audience for Jeremy. Um, we've got um, about eight minutes um, to do this. I know this is a jam-packed call, but about eight minutes for people to ask Jeremy a question. Uh, so please either unmute yourself and, and go for it, or if I can see you, raise your hand here. Anyway, I know that there's questions. <laughs> yeah, Leslie. Go, um, Leslie, then Christopher. Yeah. So Jeremy, I have your book on my mantle. It needs to come off my mantle because when, I, when it came, I went, oh, that's something I really need to get into. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's beckoning me. So I question I wanted to ask is you speak about this new world order, this new way of living. What would be the three main principles that I would become aware of that would allow me to understand what this would look like? Well, that's a, a great question. Thank you for asking that. Well, I think maybe the first principle would be um, to be life affirming rather than wealth affirming. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, and that applies to things like technology, come up with a new technology, ask this question, is it life affirming or new ways of structuring society or any, any element around that? So I'd, I'd say that's probably principle number one. I'd say the second principle is the principle of what I call integration, which is actually very similar to what Christine was just describing when she was uh, giving that um, initial lecture right now. Because integration is uh, really can be defined as a sense of unity with differentiation. Um, and sometimes I like to add unity with differentiation and balance, because that's the other part of it, that um, even with differentiation, things can get out of balance. But integration, if we look at any uh, complex living system, whether it's uh, from a, a cell, a single cell, to an ecology, uh, to any um, to a, an organism like us, um, it actually works through integration, where all the different parts do their unique thing, and all everything then works uh, as one integrated whole. Which leads me, and so probably the third principle I'd want to sort of put out there is this concept of what I call fractal flourishing. 
Now, I, I imagine most people in this group are familiar with the notion of what a fractal is. It's basically um, how patterns show themselves at different scales in a, in a, throughout a system. And fractals are basically um, everywhere in the natural world. Scientists, when they discover a fractal pattern, they say that's, that's a sign of the self-organization of nature. So the notion of fractal flourishing is that if we recognize that each of us exists at these different layers of scale. There's within ourselves as an organism, and there's um, us within our family, with community, um, with like the larger ideology or nation we might be part of. Then there's as all of humanity, and there's all of life. So the notion of fractal flourishing is flourishing can only happen when all the different layers are healthy together. And so a lot of the times when people, to, um, to the, your point, Christine, about um, how we talk past each other often, what often happens is people are focused on one layer of identity, which they are trying to optimize for and ignoring the others. So somebody might be really focused on what's good for our nation or what's good for this ideology or what's good for humanity, but missing that you need all these different layers to interact with each other dynamically for true flourishing. So those are the basically three, life affirming, integration and fractal flourishing. Thank you for forcing me to really try to <laughs> clarify my, my own thinking with that great question. And I know it's about to move for me. I thank Jeremy, the, uh, the, only, the things on my mantle are the things I cherish. I just didn't <laughs> want you to think that the book was collecting dust. <laughs> so I just wanted to clarify what that positioning meant. And, and, life, and life affirming is, you know, we call that centropic. Christopher, you had a question. Um, we've got a couple of minutes. Um, go. Thank you, Christine. Jeremy, thank you. I'm, I'm busy reading your book. I've got the, my twin screens keep going here. I'm quickly scanning through your book. So I'm, I'm definitely going to read it. It's, it's, uh, it's now my virtual mantelpiece. Uh, I, I mean, I'm curious because what I've just scanned it is, is quite a remarkable book. And I'm curious about what's the most, I've got two questions for you. What's the most challenging question that you're handling at present? This was published in 2017, things are moving on. And um, what's one insight you've had since 2017 that you've not yet told anybody? <laughs> you, want to, you want to hear it? Huh? Um, well, I think since 2017, I'll answer the second one first um, and then come back to your first question. I think since 2017, really the, the deepest insight I had is, um, you know, the book came out in 2017. It got finished in 2016, basically, and then, you know, written even before that. The urgency of the looming catastrophe that humanity is facing had not hit me quite as powerfully as it has in the last few years since then. Um, so I write about that in the book and the book leads us to this place. But um, if, I read, if I were to rewrite that book right now, it almost feels like the initial book kind of pulled its punches a little bit compared to the horrendous um, accelerating path we're going on right now. So I, I think that's, and that's something that I, I think definitely comes out much more strongly in this book that's coming out, The Web of Meaning, and in my writings since then, is this need to really recognize, to wake up around the world. Um, which kind of leads me to this second uh, question you raised, which I think is a great one. There's really, there's kind of two elements. I mean, there's kind of two questions that I'm always struggling with. So, uh, and they're kind of related. And it relates to this notion of this, watching this acceleration towards catastrophe that we're all experiencing, that we're on 
this kind of ocean liner heading towards the iceberg, if you will. And the first one is one that I tried to grapple with in this talk that Christine just quoted from, uh, The Alchemy of Heartbreak and Hope, um, which is how do you truly open your heart up to the catastrophe? I don't need to tell anybody in Australia about the catastrophe of billions of uh, animals killed in the fires that took place just um, last year. And we see this across the world. The, life is getting destroyed as we speak in so many directions. And how do we open our hearts to that in such a way that it doesn't destroy us, that we can actually feel into it and turn that into energy for engaging for life against these destructive forces. So it's not that there's a yes, no answer to that kind of question, but it's an ongoing uh, way uh, of, of being with that. And, and when we look at the rate of destruction, and we look at the systems that are causing it, how do we not get mired into a sense of despair? And how do we actually feel the energy to like keep up each day, like really striving for life against that? So that's kind of one big question I grapple with every day of my life, basically. Right. Um, and the second one, along with that, slightly different dimension is um, for those of us who see this and know what's needed, and there, the answers are out there and we know what's possible, is this question, how do we scale it up quickly enough to get the changes to happen that need to take place? You know, I mean, here in this country, in the United States, um, I've been going through a real sense, even though on the one hand, there was a sense of great relief when the apocalypse of a second term of this fascist wannabe dictator didn't actually happen. But along with that came this huge like grief and um, sense of almost despair to look at, realize that 5 million more Americans from 65 million to 70 million Americans actually knowingly voted for a fascist dictator to like put an end to democracy and basically um, like be an, uh, an authoritarian figure of racism that they actually wanted to lead this country. So realizing that there's so much we have to do to shift the direction that our world is going on and we have so little time to do it, um, how do we scale up in the way that is effective is another uh, question that I have some sort of answers to, but there's no one answer. It's really a matter of uh, working on these questions. So th those are the two that I'm struggling with every day. Thank you for asking that. Thank you. Thank you uh, what I'll do when I send out the recording and so on, we'll make sure I put the speech that, um, that the, 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 some of the places that you can read Jeremy's, or, you know, his website, of mm -hmm. course, but these speeches, and I'll, I'll put all those links in the, uh, in the notes for those. So you don't have to hunt around for it. They will come. Um, but on that note, thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> um, and so, you know, as synchronicity would have it, um, I'm going to introduce you now to um, Gina, uh, who, um, I, she's a wonderful um, participant in the centropic community, um, but also, you know, can, is probably someone working at how we can sustain ourselves uh, through this world when uh, um, our hearts are being torn apart by what is happening. And, uh, and so, um, 
Yeah, and and the the other connection between Jeremy and Gina is that Gina, of course, has studied Chinese um, medicine and so on, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So um, thank you so much, Jeremy. I hope you can stay um, for the rest of the conversation. We finish at the top of the hour um, and uh, we'll get another chance to say thank you again. But Gina, it's your, you have the mic. Thanks, Christine, and thanks, Jeremy. That was amazing to uh, listen to such wisdom and um, there's so much floating around that I can relate to in so many ways and I love your uh, angles and your um, direction in all ways it's the interdependence is just totally here in this in this zoom call so and thank you Christine for allowing me to to talk about my journey my story and what I'm doing um, and so I have my own story of heartbreak heartbreak and hope as everybody does and um, I, I call myself the late starter um, in this journey of life and went through and did corporate interior design for for half half the time that I was uh, working and um, then had the calling to and opportunity to go back and study Chinese medicine and I don't think you can study that when you leave school anyway that's like a that's um, a deep dive into everything that uh, has a lot of meaning. And uh, when I did that, my world did the 90 degree, which is uh, tropic style that uh, Christine talks about. And uh, during that time, I had three kids, went through um, a separation and divorce and just uh, started all over again. And it was the most incredible story of heartbreak and hope for me. And, and then hearing about other people's stories in very similar situations, it's always, there's such a deep resonance there and what we can share in that, what we can learn from each other in all of that. Um, so I, I went into uh, acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. Um, and that was really, like you said, touching the surface for me. Um, I was doing a lot of my own spiritual work and uh, as most people are, but something unique happened to me where I just kind of things came through me and I was able to open to new energies, new connections, new um, spaces and dimensions. And that just uh, took my adaptive approach to a, a different space altogether because there were worlds, there are worlds and um, many of them that exist and they are all part of us um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, and so what I discovered was that uh, I had to be really careful because those places are really beautiful and earth is really chaotic and not so, not so calm and um, pristine, let's say. And so I found out I was a shaman along the way through various other experiences, life experiences. And um, that's just brought through a lot of connection with speaking to things, speaking and hearing and allowing through um, just the process of, I obviously needed to pick up where I uh, left off at some point here. So um, now uh, I'm, working towards um, my own models in that syntropic space and went through a, all of the practical applications of business development and all of those 3D things that we need to do to, to be putting ourselves out there. And last year I uh, 
I um, was experimenting with uh, ways to really deeply connect through the natural cycles and rhythms. And I chose to make a stand with the type of work that I was doing to start on the new moon's cycles and take people through cycles and start on solstices and uh, equinoxes and do particular processes through from one solstice to the next equinox. And so they were the beginning of the, the type of integration that I was uh, experimenting with. And what I discovered was um, deep transformation. Things happened that I didn't know was going to happen. And so that was a really beautiful uh, way to, to bring worlds together, which is what shamans do in, their spiritual, in a spiritual and, and practical sense, I suppose. And um, what uh, I found was this complete uh, emergence happening for me and the participants. And so there was this wisdom, this innate wisdom able to come through because they were firstly open to it and um, were ready because we never receive anything that we're not ready for. And so it's, it's such a beautiful uh, opportunity for people to go through in safe ways in connection and that led me to integrating a lot of nature-based processes as well whether that's connecting with objects living beings um, trees uh, uh, animals or shells or symbols whatever it is there were so many ways that we could integrate things and very much guided by what it is that was needed for this particular person that I was working with. And, and so applying it over a certain amount of time to be able to see uh, the shifts in the transformations that were needed. And so from that, I developed this model um, uh, of uh, what's, which is really interesting because the principles are based in harmony, appreciation and integrity, um, very much about the same same, same, and uh, it's the they are based in wellness, uh, awareness, and interconnectedness. So I'm bringing those together in a physical sense through self leadership and helping people through coaching, through the life and leadership coaching, um, but also applying the regenerative nature of the elements as well, so that there's the there's a regenerative process, but there's a checking process with the five elements as well, and so there's this the harmony is able to be maintained naturally, but it's it's trusting that we can actually, if when we do show up and listen, um, a lot of things are done for us in a space by uh, allowing and surrendering to many things that are way bigger than us, that just synchronistically and synergistically happen. And so these sorts of experiments just produced, uh, and, it, and, and it's, immeasurable so I can't produce <laughs> scientific evidence to some degree I can produce lots of beautiful results in human in a human uh, sense but um, uh, the idea of that centropic approach is really applicable and when I met Christine at the warm data lab last year and started working with her this year and being part of that community it amplified it completely because I was working more one-to-one -one going into groups and so that group work is now emerging in different ways and seeing how as a human being able to hold space, that presence, that uh, energetic, um, uh, in, uh, like the cell being the cell 
for us, even just a small group or a family or a, um, a small community unit, whatever it is, whatever you can do, but managing that through your self-leadership, through your practices, the spiritual practices, through the, um, the deep uh, connection. And I call it, rather than scaling up, I call it scaling in. Um, so I have this kind of, we're, we're, we're moving in, but then we're sort of moving out at the same time. It's a very amoebic approach for me. And so there's this breathing, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, exhale, that breath of life is constantly um, allowing emergence, depending on how deeply we breathe. Um, and so that kind of symbolism is really important in the work that I uh, do is it's, it's, it allows for um, the, the synergy and the emergence and people to witness the magic because there is magic out there that happens. And, um, and there's also the, the tumultuous experiences that we're all going through. But um, the polarities do exist in the yin and the yang, in the, um, um, like Christine already uh, actually described for us there, the positive and the negative. And so the sense-making is um, something that I, I, I guess is bringing lots of meaning to people, but allowing them to receive it themselves, the practice of them receiving just through holding space is, is magical. And I've just discovered how magical it is when you do those nature-based practices and hold um, an energy that uh, is already whole because essentially we are already whole and um, we've all kind of lost our way navigating through uh, a lot of um, treacherous pathways to, to be able to keep connecting to that whole um, and, and, and helping people trust their own processes is, is part of that work that I do. And I guess for me, it's leaning into the future so that um, uh, we can heal the past because I feel that that is also the interdependence. Um, when we do do that, that the, the, the past is healed. There's something that comes with us and it's an inside out job. Um, so that inner, I, I'm always working with the inner ecology to be able to uh, witness how that comes through and reflects in the outer ecology. And, and there's this, this harmonious, um, balance of the two threading and weaving e within each other and uh, I sort of am mapping all of that out with each person or with each group that I work with so that then they can see the, the um, interconnectedness within themselves. So from that um, sort of space, uh, I guess uh, I'm bringing everybody's worlds together and that's kind of my mission is, is, is both sovereignty and I call it sovereignty and unity. And um, that's where the, the essence of, of being human, um, but also the humanity and the di divinity in a way coming together. So it's probably a pl plenty to talk about, but um, <laughs> there's only five minutes left, so I better, better just finish up there. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Gina. Um, so we do leave a couple of minutes if anyone has any questions for Gina, um, please uh, unmute yourself and just ask away. Uh, if you have any questions of her at all. She actually lives in Sydney, so, you know, she is the urban shaman. <laughs> Smack bang <laughs> in the <Yay>. sea. 
that's it. It's an application, very much city-based, city-bound. So there's lots of um, little mini urban ecologies that I'm developing and being part of. But being forced online was a whole new experience. <laughs> Does anyone have any questions for Gina? Uh, I'm sort of curious what sort of programs you do, actually, or you run. I, I, yeah, so basically I designed, they're like a bespoke offering. I started with that idea of a program from the, the current business model idea, and um, that was last year, and have kind of discovered along the way that it needs to be this rather than linear, sort of moving this. And so um, the, the model that I'm working with now, which um, is more bespoke, is, is actually working with people who are firstly committed in, in their, um, their, I guess their mission or their vision, whatever it is, so that we work through the, the wellness, the awareness and the interconnectedness to get to greater wholeness. And so it's based on those three principles and so they weave in together. And the idea is to find the balance within through self-leadership and then work, it, work that uh, congruently and coherently into um, more regenerative ways of being, which is the inner and the outer ecology starting to, to, to morph together. And that then works over time into a, an offering which is more like project-based. And this is what I haven't started yet. It's like a, a personal project of some sort. And that's that's kind of like the next iteration. So I'm, I'm sort of working through those processes. And um, so it's very bespoke depending on where the individual is at in their self-awareness um, and wellness, because it does start there. I mean, most of the time I start, I work for, for instance, spring right now, I'm doing detox. That is spring based on Chinese medicine. We do this. And then that allows for the emergence and transformation to happen in summer, which then moves into the earth element through um, late summer into the um, uh, autumn, which is all about shedding. And so that's kind of the outer ecology, inner, inner ecology process that happens, but that's an education that happens at the same time. So it's kind of like an, an experience rather than a program. So, so uh, Gina, of course, you're speaking to a globally diverse group and some of them are definitely going into um, winter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we might have to get you to crack open that. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. And, and be the steward facilitator of people that are going, while well, you're going through spring, they're going through mm. autumn. <laughs> um, the, the, so sense I, I, the sense I had, though, was um, you're talking about a, a year-long breathing in and breathing out. And, of course, all of us across the planet um, seem to be still breathing, uh, at least those of us who are here. So thank you for that. Some of us not very well. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to just bring this to a close. First of all, thank you so much, Jeremy. Um, I do hope um, we can engage a little bit more. Um, uh, I, and I, I just the work that you're doing is so symbiotic with what we're doing in Centropic, and um, and we have an amazing community. And I want to thank everybody um, for attending from around the world. Gina, thank you for bringing your beautiful energy. Um, to this and um, our uh, next 
masterclass is um, in Euro time is in January and in America's time is in February. Um, and, but we've, we're doing a lot of stuff. We've got a lot of stuff happening. We're building tools and all sorts of things. And uh, it is really a remarkable group of people uh, doing remarkable things in the world. Um, and all focused, all focused on the world with the future versus trying to fix the old. It is that Bucky Fuller quote, don't try and change the existing model, build new models that make the existing obsolete. So thank you for all of your beautiful smiling faces. Um, you're welcome to come out. Oh, next month, we, oh, next month, January, we have Sir Jonathan Porritt. Um, in the UK time zone, um, so Jonathan, um, his latest book is Hope in Hell, and uh, and so he will be joining us next month. Thank you, everybody, or January. <laughs> Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye, bye, -bye Carlos. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can register for an upcoming masterclass at centropic.world forward slash masterclass or for the next Centropic alumni open call at centropic.world forward slash alumni call, one, all one word. Uh, we really look forward to seeing you in 2021 where we have another a great lineup of incredible guests and alumni to present the work they're doing in the world towards a world with a future. Thank you for listening. <laughs>